Welcome everybody to the Strength and Skills Podcast. This is your host, Nick Tibuzek, and with me, the question-asking legend himself. I think the strongest puller and dipper in the world right now. I think I always say his name wrong because I always <laughs> say it's Matthew, but I think it's the wrong way. Please tell us your name. Well, actually, my name in Russian, as it's supposed to be, sounds Matvey Zlatoverkhovnikov. How little? Yeah, a little. But I just chose Matthew Zlat as a nickname that is a little bit easier to pronounce and to understand for uh, non-Russian citizens. So Matthew is fine too. Perfect. <laughs> I knew I was wrong with that one, but I, I'm just not able to, to say it the right way. <laughs> so for those who are who maybe don't know you i think it's very important to bring up why this guy is in here from from my opinion right now i don't see anyone in the world who's stronger in pulling and dipping right now maybe in pulling because there's one russian guy um well, i'm trying to find a comfortable setup here but i'm failing miserably right now so <laughs> <laughs> it's all good <laughs> um your your I'm highest dip well, ever was 195 kg yeah 195 yeah what well, was your highest pull 125 it was i think at the competition so, of adam raw am i right no 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 the pull up at cwwb was 120 but 125 was to like just chin two bar but in the competition it was 120 chin over the bar so actually 120 is a little bit better result for me yes, yes, yes it yes. was done in competition with judging everything so i think that 120 is my best result in polling so i think that's reason enough to have that guy in here and for you listeners i think it would be very interesting for the for you to hear this guy's story. So, Matthew, please let us know where are you from? How old are you? When did you start training? The whole complete story. Give us a little, a little background. <laughs> well, I am 21 today. And I started my training all the way back in 2012, actually, when I just tried maximum push-ups one morning and I thought nah that is not going to cut it I need to do more I need to get stronger and around a year passed and I just did push-ups every morning like from 12 to 13 years old I just did push-ups every morning and that was kind of the start like kind of the start but it got serious when at 13 years old I got into into a gym and uh, I was given to a coach actually, like for the next seven or eight months, I had a coach and he saw potential in me. Like it was supposed to be like uh, just something like corrective physical culture. So nothing hard, just basically strengthening of your overall condition. But yeah. the coach saw potential in me and I didn't notice how I started training for three hours, three times a week. Like benching, squatting, deadlifting. I did the big three back then. I also did curls. Like it was a regular gym split, like a bro split, you can you may call that. Yeah. And, and at, the, at that age, I 
was around 70 to 74 kilos body weight already at 13 years old. And my best bench was 105 kilos and 80 kilos for eight reps. My best squats were 70 for 10 reps. And my best deadlift was around 80 or 85 for 10 reps as well after squats. Okay. That's crazy already. Well, where did we go from there? How, how came you started doing all the calisthenics stuff? I mean, well, you, you are living in the, the German word for that would be Krim, but you say Crimea. Well, it's Krim in Russian. So I guess the German word is a little bit closer to the original than the English one. So you can use Krim if you want. Yeah. So you're living there and like every Western European, I think people from Russia and Ukraine are crazy as fuck. So um, how did that go from just this classic gym approach into what you did afterwards? Because I've, I have seen videos of you doing, doing stuff on the rings, one-on pull-ups, um, like Iron Cross and all that stuff. Well, the transition was, was actually forced, so to say, because at some point in my gym training, I had... Uh, I don't know how it's called, and this is not like a stroke, but I had a period where my blood pressure was extremely high for that age, and I had to stop training a little. Okay. And at that time, I thought that gym, like gym, loads you up with like with pressure, like it enforces your arterial pressure to yeah. So I thought that the gym was influencing it more than calisthenics. So I tried calisthenics and actually my mom was trying to like, not my mom, but my parents basically were trying to stop me from training, but they believed that calisthenics is a little bit easier on the heart. So I used that to actually continue training. So it was like a forced change of pace. All right. And how came that you just went into into all these hard movements was it easy for you to get all that stuff how where, where did you start at that point how many pull-ups and all that stuff well actually pull-ups i found them quite hard in my childhood and dips when i first tried them i only got two reps like, it was crazy for me like i wasn't the best at school in pull-ups or dips like i was never that when i didn't train well while people who didn't train at all pull-ups and dips got like 10 reps of each and i had like two dips and seven or even five pull-ups when i didn't train that so pull-ups were never easy for me at that point but i started started training little by little at that gym experience it got me stronger for the pull-ups so when i tried increasing my reps it went quite easily from 10 to 15 to 20 something yeah and it was quite easy then when i had like 20-something pull-ups. I started trying one-arm pull-ups, and to my surprise, I got it after a couple of days of attempts. Yeah. Like, it was quite easy. Like, one day, we with the guys us, just started playing ladder. Like, one guy does one pull-up, you all do one pull-up, then two, three, and so on, like regular games in Russia. And uh, I... I had my left sh shoulder a little bit injured, so I didn't feel like continuing. Instead, I tried doing a one-arm pull-up on the right, and I succeeded. 
<laughs> Oopsie. I was 14 at that time. That's crazy. What, what was your weight at that point? Uh, 70 something, I think 72 or 73 kilos. Okay. Okay. I was a big guy in childhood. Like not big in terms of fat, but in actual development. So my body was a little bit more developed than my, like, yeah. compared to my age. That's crazy. All right. Um, when did you actually start doing the specializing? I mean, afterwards, you probably started doing all the ring stuff then. And when did you start with the specializing? Well, it actually was a curious journey as well, because it took me around one and a half years to go from this random calisthenics to specialized pull-ups and dips. And it was interesting as well, because I learned quite a lot of calisthenics stuff, by the way. Uh, I've, at first, I tried to carry on with the programming of my coach from the gym, just using calisthenics for that. So I did a, like, basic, a basic bro split for the muscles, just the calisthenics way of it. Like, so I, one day I did pull-ups, curls, one-arm pull-ups, front lever training, all that stuff. The second day was pushing, and the third day was legs and shoulders. That's correct. So I did I did legs, yes. I did squats, I did pistol squats back then. But in the summer of 2015, I tried competing in freestyle comps and actually succeeded to some point, got some third, second places. And at that point, I also learned some really cool elements that mattered to me. Like I learned the one arm front lever, quite bad form. I did a one arm pull up with 16 kilos with a kettlebell. I started doing one finger, one arm pull ups. And at some pump, I got psyched up a little and tried pulling a one finger, one arm pull up with 16 kilos. And I actually succeeded in that Whoa. to my surprise. Already at 15, I was the second person in the world to do that. And this hit me. This hit me that I can do wonderful things if I want. I understood that at that point. And then after I tried a weighted competition at like a festival of extreme sports on Tarhankut in Krim. And I think they it's had very like, well known. That's in Ukraine, isn't it? Uh, Tarhankut is Krim. It's also Krim, but the northern part. I live in the southern part. Okay. Okay. That's crazy. And uh, I just decided to get ready for the next year and to stop doing all the elements for this period of time and just focus on the basics, dips and pulls. No, also one arm pull-ups because I love them so much and it is just it was just my movement and it still is, as I will tell you a little bit later. But at that point, I tried specialization and it worked. All right. And actually, it was an endurance competition I was preparing for. But at some point, I decided to build a strength base to specialize in endurance later on to have like something to build up mm-hmm. from. But I got so interested in building strength that it slowly turned into just street lifting. <laughs> how, how strong have you been at that point? Did, did you do the competition in the end? Uh, yes, I did, but I failed miserably due to the lack of preparation. So, all right. <laughs> My first competition history was very bad. 
That's why I didn't compete for years after that. But at 15, I already had, like, at early 15, like, a month or two after my birthday, I already had 90 kilo dips for reps, 50 kilo pull-ups for five or six reps, and uh, one arm pull-ups, like, for seven or eight reps on the left arm, and plus 16, almost two reps I had. That's crazy. It's really crazy. And you have been pretty strong in one-arm pull-ups, but not so strong in normal pull-ups in comparison. Yeah, the difference was quite big actually, because and even at some point I stopped training one or like I stopped training regular pull-ups at all in favor of one-arm pull-ups and front lever. Because I really wanted that one-arm front lever and front lever pull-ups. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. All right. And um so in 2017, you started completely specializing. Is that right? Uh, no, I already start, started doing just three movements in 2015. Okay. Uh, and, or if you mean completely specializing just two movements, it was in 2019, actually. Because from 15 to 18, I did also handstand push-ups. I did one-arm pull-ups. I did front lever training, like on and off. And it didn't really bother me. It was actually going quite well with these two main movements of pull-ups and dips. Yes. Okay. Okay. And you already had a fixed structure during that time. You already have... Yes. Yeah. Yes. Because... I started experimenting with structures, like all the way back, actually. Even when I started training with a coach in 2013, I had a fixed structure of that split. Like yeah. the first day was bench press and biceps the second day was pulling and triceps and the third day was legs and shoulders and i carried on with it for like a year until i started to experiment with the pulling and pushing every single training three times a week mm -hmm. and from that point i understood that for me splitting just doesn't work like pulling and pushing go together better than they do one by one yeah for you of course okay yeah. Okay, and you still train three days a week? Yes, right now I do, I do train three days a week. Although there have been quite bizarre experiments with my coach that I got, like not so long ago. And you probably saw the stories on Instagram. I trained like a crazy madman several times a day, like five or six days a week. It was his plan. Okay. Well, okay. <laughs> so, um, why why three days a week? Was that something that you took from the beginning and you never changed it, or did you did you just see that? Did you try several days, or how how did you how did you know that this is the best for you? Well, at first it was just the basic split, but then I tried like push pushing and pulling together and understood like at first i had doubts that i would recover like yeah. only one rest day between days but i did recover and it worked quite well and then it worked so well that i didn't actually need to change anything yeah and only then i started to train try to train like four times a week one week two times a week another week it, these experiments started only in 2017 mm -hmm. and uh, It actually took quite a long time to get it working, but I did. 
I did get it working. That's, that's super interesting because um, a lot of people always think you have to train like six or seven days a week and you're definitely the example. Less is more. <laughs> yeah. But you know that I specialize and like if you train six or seven days a week, you have to split your training wisely so that while one movement recovers, you can train up, train another one. Yeah. So this fatigue management needs to be on a pretty high level. But when you train only two movements, then it's extremely hard to do that. And uh, actually, I, with my coach, we managed to do that like in 2021 but that's a story for a little bit later when we <laughs> discuss current situation um when when i look into your videos right now you're you're never mixing out but i know from 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 conversations before mm -hmm. um you told me in the beginning you maxed out very often when did that change and why well in 2015, I maxed out. In actually, it was switched like from random maxing out to a structured program. But the program actually allowed for maxing out, not like every session, but you have a scheme, and you constantly add weight to it, and you push it until you start maxing out. That's the way I did that, and like it can happen to this point in time. Like I can have a session where I hit failure, but I try to avoid that and actually hit the sweet spot between like RP 10 and failure. So this is the hardest set that I will do RP 10, but not failure. Yeah. This is like perfect. Like you need, you need to know where to stop. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And this, this is mostly done pretty auto-regulated by how you feel. Not really auto-regulated. It's in in the scheme. It's okay. Like written in the scheme. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. I like that. That's pretty cool. Okay. So now we know a little bit of your, your training background. Now we can ask you the most important question. Yeah. Are you on roids? No, I'm not. <laughs> we have to ask that question because everybody on the internet always tells yeah he must be on roids and i was always like i don't think so he just trains a little smarter than the rest and he's he has pretty good genetics we have to well i don't know about genetics i actually heard an opinion that i managed to change or alter my genetics by training hard even in even before puberty hit so i had a chance to modify my body this way there mm -hmm. there is this opinion and i really like that but overall i don't think i have the best genetics like for sure i know people who have genetics better than mine i know at least like uh, three or four people this like that well hopefully we see them in the in the in the world i would love to but see they, they they just don't train like they are built well They have a great body structure. They have the natural tendency to gain muscle, but they just don't train. It's not their thing. That's so sad. Maybe it's because you guys living in Ukraine that's close to Chernobyl, and that's probably the reason for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, Chernobyl, Chernobyl is actually the north of Ukraine. So, like, Moscow is around the same distance from Chernobyl that I am. 
that explains why the Russians are like that too. <laughs> All right. So nowadays you also still train three days. Um, how, how long do your sessions go? Well, I like to take a big rest between sessions, between sets. So up to four hours sometimes. Oh, that's crazy. That's crazy. How many exercises are you doing? Are you doing a lot of volume? Uh, not that much, actually. I sometimes, like right now, my structure of the training is pull, push, pull. So pull-up variation number one, then dips and pull-up variation number two. Okay. And you're switching so, up in between pull-ups and chin-ups? Or what, what is the variation? Like? Yeah. Yeah, my main variations right now are locked chin-ups and uh, also i'm trying to develop locked pull-ups and to like excite my nervous system before that i do normal variations with heavy okay all right that's super interesting all right so after years of not getting coached after 2013 you decided to get a coach in 2021 what was the reason for that well it was in the army in the second half of my service already when I got finally I got to a military camp with a great gym like mm -hmm. it was a great gym I also I bought the equipment I needed to train I finally got everything and uh, I started to like prioritize dips again because I had a period before that that I did pulls mostly and it's really paid off I got a 107 kilos locked chin up because It's such a big result because like a year ago, I couldn't lock 50 kilos on a chin-up. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. And uh, like after training locked for less than a year, I overcome 100 kilos in a competition. It yeah. was a big thing for me. But after I switched to dips, I got from 1 to 75 to 190 dip in four weeks. In four weeks. And then I kind of stalled out. And I had this contact, a person who knows strength training like no other person in the world I know right now. His name is Dmitry Golovinsky. He is an elite bench presser, the holder of official Ukraine record of 305 kilos bench press. Yeah. He also has the second strict curl in the world at 106 kilos official. Wow. And... Uh, He says that he did all that with lower than average genetics, worse than average genetics, because he was a sick boy when he was young. He has problems with the digestive system, and uh, he still managed to pull off such extreme results with all that. Yeah. And it was all because he's a great Methodist. Like, mm -hmm. And also, I, like, I watched his athletes. I watched him train. And I have never seen, any, seen anything like that. Like what his athletes and him do, it's completely unique. And I wanted to understand what lies behind that method. Mm -hmm. So I contacted, contacted him and we are quite in good relations. So he answered easily. And uh, I asked him, can you coach me for quite a bit so I can understand your method? And he said, yes. That's cool. That's cool. And now you're and, using that for your pulls? Huh? Now you're using that for your pulls? Uh, no, no. Because this method... Actually, my priorities were as such. Dips pushed to the maximum, pulls maintained. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. maintained as a secondary exercise, you don't like I didn't even have to progress. And uh, it was a bad decision because my pulse degraded a lot during that during that time period because his method like i don't know whether it was just because i said to maintain pools or because my pools didn't react quite well to the method but they degraded all mm. and i had to bring them back up after that but dips actually started going a little bit up but after four months i had no prs at all okay like my technique improved my speed on extreme weights like 185 175 were moving much better than they used to be but 190 was still the limit mm -hmm. like i couldn't do 195 and i just pulled out and the method actually was quite extreme because it was very low volume per session quite high intensity but the sessions were abundant in the week because sometimes I had 12 deep sessions a week. Imagine that. How? Two times a day, six days a week. Two times a day, six days a week. And out of them, like six could have been up to 150 or more. At some point, I had a week where I did like got up to 180 kilos dips for several singles three times a week. But at least 180 are pretty pretty safe now. Yeah, like they're perfectly safe. Well, I like from that method, I found a, I found out that my work capacity is quite a bit higher than I anticipated it to be. Yeah, it's crazy, and I actually managed to like deal quite well with this frequency and intensity. He said that this method of his was based on the Bulgarian training method. Yeah, sounds like that. Abadjiv, of Abadjiv, yes. It was a modified Bulgarian system. Yeah. Uh, for, elite, for elite level athletes, because he said in his own live stream that don't try to copy his training right yeah. now, because he is training in an elite way that only he can manage. Yeah, uh, that, that, that's something before the listener starts into, oh, Bulgarian training. Guys, Bulgarian training was made for Olympic weightlifters who were really stuffed with roids and mm. they did nothing else but training. They were locked into a house. Some of them were brought out of jail because they were just strong and they had to win the Olympics. <laughs> so all they did was training. So for them was the system made. So that's... <laughs> No, nothing yeah. for the normal people he based that on like he called these little training sessions he called them attacks so and he said that bulgarian trainees had like from five to eight attacks per day i had two attacks per day fuck <laughs> yeah that's completely crazy <laughs> so at least you learned something out of that and of course of course i did I learned a lot from him. He is a great man and an extremely good Methodist. I still think he's the best. It's just that this method, this particular method, didn't work for me quite well. Yeah. And I think that's because I actually made 
myself used to my training methods. So when something completely new was introduced, my body didn't know how to react to that. Yeah, so yeah. that's my expectation. Do, do you think it would have taken more time? Well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe like, and I'm quite sure actually that given enough time, like a couple of years, he would have found the right approach for me. But usually if I try a method and it doesn't click in two or three months, then it's not working. Okay. If I try something that will actually work, it usually, like I know that from like the first month, it, it just clicks and I feel great. It didn't click with him. Okay. Okay. So coming from there, you are probably working on the next records for pulling and dipping. And I think to, to get into that topic, we can, we can start off with what are, let's, let's start off with the pulling. Um, what are your actually three top tips for a strong pull? Well, I would have just one tip. Just fucking pull and don't overthink it. <laughs> That's the thing that worked for me. Yeah. Like, there are a lot of tips like arch your back, squeeze, like squeeze your shoulder blades, retract, depress. Like I never focused on that. It yeah. may be important for some people to understand this technique or, or to prevent injury, like you said in the pull talk. But for me, it never worked. I just found the most intuitive technique and pulled. Mm -hmm. And this was the way I could produce the maximum output of the force. Yeah. But maximum I also, force output. I also know that you very often are um, this sound for some may sound for some people like he's just hanging there and pulling. But I know that you also are into some details. Like we talked about the stuff in the chin-ups um, where you where you grip, how you grip it, and all that stuff. Do you have some more insights into that? Well, that's called optimization. But it's quite personal because mm -hmm. some people, like I've seen your athlete, Rado has like a crazy chin-up mobility. So his wrist feels very natural, natural in place. So I look at him and like, how? How, he, how does he do that? Because my wrist just doesn't allow that. Yeah. And for this specific reason, I have to adapt. Like mm -hmm. the thing that Nick talked right now was like this thing where you like grip like this and not like this. Like not you don't use a full grip. Instead, you like put all all of your grip strength into these three fingers, and these are quite relaxed. Yeah, this is done to like to improve the wrist mobility on the top. Yeah, it allows me to lock much better. Yeah, I think that's the tip. I, th I think that's that's the stuff that um, a lot of people are waiting for because everybody knows. Yeah, let's get some structure into training. Let's get into into um, uh, some some technical stuff. But all these small little details, I think they matter a lot, especially when you specialize into that stuff. I mean, you also changed pretty much for a lot of people how they dip. That's pretty interesting because you started using the long um, yeah. rope and nobody did that before. And you did it and it was the, pretty much the smartest move ever. Just a longer rope. And that's it. 
And when you look into it, it makes so much sense. This is why I'm asking for stuff like that, because I think there are some of these small little detail tips which can have such a big impact on it. Um, this, this is actually what I'm waiting for. Are you hanging your weight in the poles also very low? Well, not really. Actually, I tried to optimize it for pools as well. And I came to the conclusion that it doesn't really matter as long as it's not too high or not too low because mm -hmm. the long rope doesn't quite work for pools for me. Mm -hmm. Like it feels the best when the plates hang around between your knees and your feet, between yeah. like in the calf area, but not as low as on dips. On dips, yeah. we'll discuss that later. But on pulls, it doesn't really matter as long as it is as long as it is comfortable. Yeah, 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 yeah. I like that. So that that's also a very important one because I learned that the same way. Mm -hmm. I would say for the muscle ups, it's even different. Um, but for the pull-ups, it's, it's like that. And today we're going to talk about pull and, and, and dip. Um, would you say there's a big difference in pulling between chin-ups and pull-ups? Uh, it's substantial. Substantial. You can definitely pull more weight on the chin-up. Yeah. If we, don't, if we don't talk about lock stuff, the lock stuff is even, there is even more difference because you can't compare locked chin-ups and locked pull-ups. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Because for me, the difference between them is like 30 kilos or something. Okay. You, but with a locked chin-up, you probably can move more? Yes, of course. And actually, I didn't show uh, like a big PR in chin-ups so far because I never really had time to focus on just heavy chin-ups without the lock. But I think it's possible with a 125 pull, your chin-up should be around 135 to 140 kilos if you adjust the technique and train it as much as you did pull up. Yeah. Would you say they complement each other? Uh, like I would say that, yes, they do. But if you want to get better at one thing, you should train that one thing. And don't expect to improve your pull-ups drastically with doing chin-ups. It doesn't work. Yeah, but you would say uh, you can use the chin-up as an assistance exercise? Yes, but I prefer using like for regular pull-ups, I prefer using locked chin-ups as assistance mm -hmm. and vice versa. Mm -hmm. That's super interesting. So with the locked, you mean holding on top of the bar? Yes, this is the competition form here in Russia. Yeah. So you, I have to do lock chin-ups because that's what counts here. Like the regular form of pull-ups chin-ups doesn't count here. You have to pull all the way up until the bar is under your chin and then hold it. But you are allowed to use your chin as like an assistance yeah. thing. So you can actually grip the bar with your chin. That's allowed. And I think that's fair because to grip the bar with your chin, you have to at least pull all the way here. Yeah, of course. That. of course. So it's fair. It's fair. It's not cheating, as some people in the comments say. You will always have people in the comments <laughs> talk shit. It's always that's, true. that's true. That's true. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, so. Let's dive into dips. I know that is your most favorite thing. 
Yeah, but we didn't discuss locked stuff quite as well because That's I also cool. found one one interesting thing about locked stuff that helped me eliminate my leg movement that was bugging me for the longest time. Mm-hmm. I found that when I do locked, my legs turn off. Like I don't jerk my legs at all when I do locked stuff just because like it's something that happens naturally without me thinking about it. So I put my emphasis on locked stuff so much right now to eliminate the legs at all and it's actually happening soon my all of my pull-ups and chin-ups will be super clean i'm working on that Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because a lot of people are always like yeah but you see that that was a little leg movement because the the, the knee was bending a bit (laughs) yeah even if the leg is bending on the locked stuff, like on the locked pull-up or the locked chin-up, it just bends and doesn't straighten again at the top. So mm-hmm. like there is absolutely no jerking. And this is what I found really comfortable and interesting and useful in locked work. So right now my, the locked work is like my primary goal. And after I pull off a high locked number, I'll probably switch to regular chin-ups to try to break through that. 125 barrier. Yeah. Yeah. Because you still have to do the 140. Yeah. I want to do 120 locked first. Yeah. And I think that's coming quite soon, actually, because when I did one oh like 107.5 in the competition, I felt like it was far from the limit. Mm-hmm. And I did locked stuff seriously for around three, three to four months months at that point i felt like there is a lot of potential to explore and right now this is what i will do i will explore the potential of the lock chin-up yeah i like that are you ever going into failure with that well actually for me failure on the lock chin-up is uh, quite far from actually hitting muscular failure because i have to be explosive with the locked work because I have no strength in the upper range of motion. Like from here to here, I cannot pull with strength. So what I do is I explode up and just catch myself with my chin. That's what I do. And you fail a rep this way when you are not as explosive anymore. So you will still pull to around this height and just slide out. Yeah. This is not re- not really a muscular failure, but instead like a technical failure. So it's quite hard to hit actually like actual muscular failure with lock stuff. Yeah. Do you use special um, assistance or accessory work for that? No. This is one of my main points training actually to get better at the stuff you do. Do the stuff you do, and no like isolations, no partials, nor no assistance. I don't use assistance at all. This is mm-hmm. my approach. Okay. Okay. So probably a training session of you doing pulling is like you do your chin-ups and how how does a training session like that look like? Like warm-ups, like regular full body warm-up, then warm-up sets until you hit your straight sets, like the working sets, you do the working sets and basically you're done with your pulling number one. Then you do dips and then you do your pulling number two the same way. So are we talking about uh, that, that? That's one session. Yeah, the connection is a little bit poor now. Let's see where it goes. Let me know when you're back. No. Uh, 
Maybe you just turn off the uh, video and then, then we have the sound back. Our connection got in. Can you hear me? I can hear you, definitely. <laughs> connection is a little bit poor right now. So um, if you turn off the um, video and keep the sound, then probably the sound will work. Here we are back. You have to put on the sound. Yeah. Do you hear me now? Yes, absolutely, I do. Okay, great. Some connection problems. Well, maybe no because of the weak Wi-Fi or something like that. All right. Um, for the polling session, so you have like like a top set maybe and some backups. No. No, I don't use the structure of top set backoffs. Actually, I learned from Dmitry this thing from Russian weightlifting, or I don't know where he found that, but it's extremely logical for me, is that during a session, you must not lower the weight, never. So, and this goes against this top set backoff rules because mm -hmm. you have to only go up in weight because this way the session is more specific to the actual competition process and okay. strength building. So if you want to do a top set, like a top single, you would do your work sets first. And then after that, you do a top single. Mm -hmm. So you have, like, way. You, have, you have like, I don't know, four sets of triples and afterwards a single. Uh, not really, because also one of his rules is that you don't, like it's it can be rarely avoided, but usually is uh, you don't lift a weight in one set. So you have to have at least two singles. Usually it was done something like three sets of three and then three singles or two sets of two and two singles or mm -hmm. two sets of two, then two singles, then two heavier singles. Okay. These, these were the standard structures mm -hmm. in his training. Okay. And I use that to this day. So, and this uh, like i switched up my classic scheme i used like back in the past i used a three by three followed by three by five but right now i do first i do three by five and then three by three okay and when you when you did that like i don't know six sets in total and you're done with training completely well for example my monday session right now looks like this Lock chin-ups, three sets of five, then three sets of three, 10 kilos heavier. Then the same goes for dips. And then I have uh, potentiation pull-ups, like maintenance work with no lock, three by three, and then three singles. And that's the session. So three by five, three by three chin-ups, three by five, three by three dips, three by three, three by one pull-ups. Okay. And that's the session. Okay, that's super interesting. I like that. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely always interested in seeing how many methods there are because I, I've never done that method and I've never seen someone doing that method. And this is why this is so super interesting. And yeah, there, you, are, there are a lot of gems hidden in strength training. You just have to find them. Yeah. And uh, I keep finding them to this day and it's super interesting. Absolutely. So when, when you have a dipping day, you probably start off with the dips and have the, the, the pulling after. Well, I don't have dipping days. 
like right now all of my sessions follow the same pattern exactly the same yes exactly the same of push like pull push pull okay this, right now everything is built that way okay okay when i have dips in prior dips in priority i will have just push and pull no second push because what i found for myself after all these years is that i can handle much more pulling than push yeah that that that's something i've seen with a lot of people most people can handle more pulling than pushing actually that's that's something i can also say and this structure is not random either because i'm used to pull push pull for like for many years i did that with one arm pull-ups being the first pull mm -hmm. so right now this scheme is supernatural for me and it's very mm -hmm. comfortable although dips suffer a little from that because of the fatigue from the first pull because one arm pull-ups used to be not that fatiguing because i usually did them for singles and i was quite fresh when i got to the dips but right now I feel a little bit of fatigue on my dips, but also dips feel quite safe because I am pretty warm and ready after the first pull. So okay. it feels natural for me, like two pulls and one push. Okay. It's great. Do you have a special warm-up for your training? Especially when, you, when you're moving so heavy weights, do you have something special? Yeah, for every single that big, actually. So right now, uh, here we go again. Yeah, yeah the connection is a little bit, but it's it's getting better with the sound. You just need to talk. <laughs> Can you hear me? Yeah, I th I think there was a sound. We need to reconnect. This is bad. Uh, the the sound is there. You just just turn off the video. You can do that. Sound is there. Uh, so you have to just to switch on the sound now. Okay, yeah. we're back. We're Here. back. <laughs> All right. Um, so going back to the to the warm up, um, you probably do some specialized warm up stuff, and you yeah, said you're, I doing, do. you're doing some some full body stuff. Are you doing something else? So I usually just warm up my shoulders, elbows, and wrists. Yeah. And also do one or two specific exercises for the movement that comes after that specific that specific specific warm-up. So for pull-ups or chin-ups, this may be bicep curls with an empty barbell or a one-arm row focused on the lats mm -hmm. and on the lock right here, because with the one-arm row, you can really bring that wrist all the way to your yeah. chest. And this warms you up extremely well. And for dips, I have all kinds of crossover flies, you may call them. Mm -hmm. Basically, when you warm up specifically the area in the chest that is working the most, and also it gets the most soreness, like this, this yeah. point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The upper part of the chest. Yeah. That's super so interesting. So I, I, I do like these flies and then also something like the iron cross flies but in a crossover mm -hmm. with the police and it warms me warms me up quite well that's super interesting so when it comes to to the dips <laughs> mm. 
Yes, dips. Do you use any assistance there? No. Like for dips, it's even like it's an even bigger topic than for pools. For dips, there is no assistance required for me or and for most people that I train with, it's just not required. Mm-hmm. Some people can use like an increase in bench st- strength for the dips, but I never found it effective. Mm-hmm. Like as Dmitri said once, you can build a big tricep with dips, but you can never build a big dip with training triceps. Mm-hmm. That's true. <laughs> Super interesting. Okay. Um, all right. When, when, when we go into dipping, um, would you say you profit from what you did before, all the years before with all the handsome push-ups and all that stuff? Well, all those years I also did dips. So yeah. I guess the most progress still comes from the dips. Yeah. But I guess the handstand push-ups helped a little bit with the development of the shoulders. Mm-hmm. And that allowed me to better my body position in the dip because I really, I dip with the shoulders, not with the chest or with the triceps. Like the thing that I control the most are the shoulders. And that what gets the most soreness is the upper chest and the upper, like the front delt. Mm-hmm. These are the places that get the most amount of fatigue after a heavy dip session for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm asking that because um, I want people to understand that you had a very strong base when you went into this specialization. And yes, I, we, I we did. I did have that, that strong. Yes, having a strong base is important for specializing well. Mm-hmm. Because but, I remember, but also, but also, basic exercises like the like the dip are extremely well like they build this base extremely well by themselves. Yeah. So it can be done with just basics. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Be- and also there is an interesting fact about the dip. And did you know that it actually is the more basic exercise than the, the bench press? Like yeah, it involves more muscle mass. And actually the strength produced in the downward push is more than in the horizontal push and it actually is stated in some books of anatomy and like biomechanics or how it's called in english but it is stated that we humans can produce the most force in the downward pushing compared to horizontal or upward pushing so dip is the most basic pushing exercise for the upper body yeah, it makes absolutely sense. This is um, you can see that when you have a negative bench pressing, you know, when when the when the bench is a little bit more in a negative yeah. way, m- m- people are stronger there, and that's that's completely natural because the the triceps can work as usual, but the lower part of the chest can work even better. And this is actually to to get that into the mind um, when you look at that. It biomechanically, it's just the strongest bench that you can actually have usually and this is a more downward pushing and this is where this comes from and this is where you see that this is actually the the strongest maybe like horizontal style of pushing um and the only thing that i would say is 
why a dip is a little bit harder for some people because they have to stabilize the shoulder girdle so much more. Yes, yes. And that's why you don't see elite benchers coming to the deep quite as often. Yeah. And show, but it happens. Like, did you see that guy who had like 300 something bench press and he tried dipping and like tr tried one max dipping and he got a 175 dip? But that's impressive. That's impressive, but actually I've like I looked up his story and he actually did train dips for years before that. So yeah, it wasn't really that impressive. But still, there are like people I know personally, a guy who had a like 200 kilos bench and he tried dips for the first time. He tried weighted dips and he he got a 150 kilo dip. And now he is the European record holder here in the ISF with a 152 and a half kilo dip and he's preparing to break it right now. Okay. He's my good friend. That's super interesting. Okay. I, I like I like that. And it again it shows strength is a skill. And, yes. And in, in, in the end, of course you you are strong, your muscles are strong and then now you have to learn to use that strength in certain movements. And sometimes you have like you already strong muscles, like maybe from the bench press, already strong triceps, already strong chest and all that stuff. And you just have now to learn to bring that into the dip and vice versa, like having yes. a strong dip going into the bench. I mean, I have seen you benching close to 200. Yes, yes I benched 190 in a a little bit of, of a fatigued state after a competition just for fun with no technique and no skill of that moment because the last time I actually trained bench seriously was in 2013. So mm -hmm. I guess you could say that with no experience at all and I benched 190. And uh, Dmitry, who is an expert bench presser, told that with only technical adjustments, I can get to 120, like 220 plus in bench. Yeah. Just from dips, just from dips without actually benching. Yeah. So this this is again just just something when you get strong, you can do a lot of stuff. <laughs> you just have now maybe to learn a little bit of the technique, and this is this is it. Yes, if you are strong, you're strong. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> um for the dips, what are your most favorite tips for the dips? Uh, keep like the dip for me is a lot in the legs so keep your legs straight keep them locked keep them centered and keep them vertical vertical leg legs make the dip if yeah. you learn to control your legs then it's you then you are like 70 percent there and this thing we talked about with lowering plates it also beside moving the center of mass injured dip lower to stabilize you it also allows you to lock your legs in place much better and easier mm -hmm. so this is what it's done for learn to bring your legs down in a straight line and bring them up without the legs going backwards because you can see in a lot of strong athletes that didn't work on their, their technique quite well that they usually like they go down well like like this And on the way up, they started like their legs started going back, the weight started going back as well, and their like ascent in the shoulder girdle 
is stuttered by this. And they have like this dead point in the dip and then they overcome or they don't, but it makes the dip a lot harder. And if you optimize the like the bar path, the weight yeah. path in the dip, it makes the rep a lot easier and smoother. Yeah. So the dip for me is in the legs. Yeah. You also need to learn the proper shoulder positioning, but it was discussed quite well in the dip talk by you and Dennis. Yeah. So basically say no to retracted dips together. Keep <laughs> no little... to retracted dips. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what would you say? How much lean is the best lean in a dip? I think uh, your body needs to be around 45 degrees leaned, like at the 90 degree angle. Not more, because if you go too horizontal, you make things harder for yourself. Yeah. And also, this dip can consider to be cheating because, like, you lean too much. But 45 degrees, I think that's quite balanced. Yeah, yeah. I would never tell someone, okay, this is the right degree for you, but somewhere in that range is, yes. is pretty much what, what you see with the best dippers. And it, you know, it's like with elbows in and balls out. Elbows out, you can't really give a precise cue for everyone at the same time because it's like the personal position. Same with the lean in the dips. Some people have like a shorter torso, torso so they have to lean a little bit more into the dip. Some people have a long torso, so they are fine with staying a little bit more upright. But yeah. like, find which works for you, but stick to the main cues. Absolutely, that's my position. I'm, I'm completely with you at that point, completely, because that's that's something I, I know that, um, especially in in more into the Eastern Europe side, like Russia and all that. Um, There's also a group of people who tells you you're not allowed to lean forward at all. Uh, yes, the dip haters, I call them. I also call them idiots. You know? <laughs> I'm, I would say in most cases, those people didn't understand biomechanics. Yes, and the most, also in the most cases, these people have a weak dip. <laughs> That's that's true, but when you don't lean forward, you don't use your chest. It's just yes, and also, and also leaning forward allows you to protect your shoulders from overextending. Oh, yeah, and that's a big part. Like, like that's a big thing in deep and heavy because if you lift heavy, your technique must be safe and injury proof. And like having a retracted dip with a vertical body and your elbows behind you. Like all the way, it's just not injury proof. And a lot of people actually got injured on this type of form. Even Adam Rowe got his chest torn on a 140 vertical dip. Yeah. So even legends are not safe from that. Yeah. 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 I'm completely with you at that point. I would say a, a part of leaning forward is very, very important at that point. And it also is because when you look at it from the biomechanical way, The way you sh you 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 have to position your shoulder blades in a completely vertical um, uh, pushing movement in the dip definitely lead to a very shitty position of the shoulder blades, which definitely it, there's no other way than leading to injury 
except for maybe some people who are just just lucky at that point. But when, when you look at it, it's just not a very safe and stable position for, for the shoulder blades and especially for the rotator cuff at all. Yes, and it can lead to shoulder impingement and then you're done. Yeah, that's it. Because people will lose depression. There's no way you, you don't lose it. Because you have to lean forward to keep the depression. And depression is that what, what keeps you healthy at that point. How important do you think is protraction? Uh, it's also really important to keep the tension in your dip because like the dip is about legs, but it's also about the full body tension that you can produce and hold during the, at least during the negative and the 90 degree, fa 90 degree phase. Because uh, if you lose your tension, your body sags and turns it to a vertical dip, and you lose the rack. Yeah. So this bit of protraction actually allows you to have a solid, strong structure in your shoulders, which allows you to control the repetition, especially during the descent and the 90 degree angle. And to strengthen that specifically, to strengthen that position, to understand it better, pause dips are a great exercise. Mm -hmm. And this is my go-to variation in the dips. Like I do only dips and pause dips. Pause dips are a golden exercise, which I recommend to everyone. Yeah, absolutely. How do you how do you see the I would say it's like a French style of dipping when they open up the chest pretty much. How do you see that? Uh like from what I saw in the recent videos from the French guys, they all have quite solid dip techniques. So I haven't seen them opening up that much, but I guess they open up on the way up when yeah. they push push up. Well, I don't really like opening up too much. I think that neutral position of the chest is fine and optimal. Yeah. Neutral. Neutral, but opening up excessively is not the best way to do it. But as long as you are strong and a little bit protracted and keeping tension in at the 90 degree angle, then if you open up a little bit too much on the ascent, then it is mostly fine. Maybe not like perfectly optimal, but it can be fine. When there is a day when you just don't feel that safe with the shoulder girdle, do you still go for heavy weights or how do you handle that? Because I have experienced that very often that when I'm not completely safe with my complete shoulder girdle and all the stuff around my uh, scapula, dip sessions get pretty shit. How do you handle that? I have a plan. I execute it. You always, you always go completely yes. into it? Yes, I do. Never skip a session or maybe put it on the next day because you feel like you wasted? I can alter a session only if I physically fail it. Mm -hmm. Okay. If I have the strength to complete it, I complete it. Yeah. I have a plan. I stick to it. This yeah. is my position on that. And it works for me because I found that with flexible auto-regulating plans, I usually lose strength. But if I push myself mm -hmm. through these shitty sessions, shitty days, and I force myself to show the result, then the results start progressing. Mm -hmm. This is how I do it. This is how it works for me. Some people benefit more from the auto-regulation. Yeah. But I don't. I just don't. This is my personal thing that it doesn't really work for me. 
Yeah. How often do you deload, actually? Uh, well, I usually try to make my plan as manageable as possible, but usually deloads come in very handy after something like four weeks of medium intensity training. And when I'm in high intensity phases or peaking or these periods when I one rep max often, I usually do one heavy week and one deload week. So alternating. Oh, so one overreaching week, like if you have an overreaching week, you have to follow that with the deload. And usually this extreme style of session, extreme style of training, I do that to pick my one rams and I alternate like extreme load weeks with deload weeks. So every second week is a deload week in this period. How long do you keep these phases? Uh, well, it works best for around three cycles, so six weeks. Okay. And then I switch back to my normal training style. That's also super interesting. I've never heard of that. That's super interesting. But this is actually because that you, you can see stuff like that very often from, I would say, Eastern Europe and Russian type of training. And I'm coming from a Western Europe, which is very often very different to, to these programming and periodization style, which is why I always like that because it's very hard to get into the literature of, of that stuff because it's all in Russian and I don't speak Russian. <laughs> so I just can't read it. <laughs> well, I actually base most of my programming on the Texas method style training. Yeah. And uh, like, if you heard about the Matcal program, I also use that, like the yeah. cyclic approach. Super like you can... And they are based from, from some Russian um, stuff that, so far as I know. Well, maybe. I don't know. But... I think that com that's coming from the 70s, somewhere there. Ah, I have to look it up, but that something is coming up from there. That's super, super interesting. All right, I like that. Okay. Um, I think we have a, a lot of stuff covered in, in that episode. Um, do you have some more stuff that you definitely need to put in here for the dips? Uh, for the dips? Basically... Like the main tip I would have for the dips is don't listen to the idiots from the fitness industry because fitness industry tries to promote dips like in very weird ways, like retracted chest, like focus on the chest, focus on the triceps. They never see the dip as a basic exercise. And if you want to get a great dip, stop learning this bullshit from fitness influencer and start learning from actual street lifters and people who know shit about dips. Yeah. Like, who do dips? Now we're back to shitty connection. I love it. In yeah, your sound is, is off too. I think uh, you need to reconnect again. Now we have to wait a little. Until he reconnects from influence, because there is a lot of misinformation, and I think we're stuck again. Yeah. Okay. We have the sound back, but this, the the picture is still fucked up. Connection. I think you need. To, yeah, you need to reconnect it. Oh yes, yes, yes. Now let's see. 
now I think it's getting better now. Yeah, yeah we're, we we're, back. we're back. We're back. All right. Yeah. For the listeners, we are back. All right. So no fitness influencers. Yes. <laughs> All right. Um, let's go into this last questions that I have. What are your plans for the future? Well, right now, I am resting from heavy dips a little because I really burned myself out with trying to cross that 195 kilo boundary, but I just didn't manage to do it. And right now I am prioritizing chin-ups a little mm -hmm. while building up the basis for the future heavy dipping. And uh, when the basis is ready, I will switch focus again and go for the 200 kilo dip seriously. Mm -hmm. I want to hit, I want to hit a, 164 by four before going for the 200 because according to calculations 164 by four will give me an estimated one rep max of 205 kilo dip. yeah sounds good sounds very good so 200 in the dip and as you already said you want to have the locked 120 chin yes and it will be perfect but it will require a lot of work yeah Do you have any very big goals in your mind that you want to reach in the very far future? Well, I don't know. I consider actually I consider going on roids and trying to break through the 170 kilogram on pools. <laughs> Wait, that would be completely crazy. And at that point, I have to say, um, I would love to see it. Actually, I, I don't. I wouldn't love to see you being on roids because that's for health reasons because i want you to be healthy but on the other hand that would be something that would be so crazy to 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 what degree we can push the human body that it would be so interesting that i'm i'm really curious <laughs> well actually if i ever do it i will like the first thing is that i will be completely open about it so like this is my principle like you have to be open about use whether you do it or not If I do it, I'll like be completely open about it, and that also will like it will shatter all the doubts that come through people's minds right now. Because if I say like I'm going on juice, and then my dip like like I had 30 kilos in two months, then it will be obvious that before that I was a natural. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> and the second part is if I ever do it, I will do it. Under, a control, under control of an expert to not fuck up my health. Yeah. With absolutely. all the blood tests, hormone testing, everything. Yeah. Because that the health will be my priority in that case. Absolutely. Absolutely. But yeah. right now, it's still a, a little bit too early to talk about this because mm. I'm still planning to carry on with my natural strength. Yeah. But I consider this as an option. Okay. And I think it will be very interesting to find out where the actual limits can lie. Yeah. But I'm yeah, also yeah. very interested where you're going to push this for the maybe like maybe next four years or something until you're 25 or something where, where we can actually see you pushing the limits because that's what you're doing right now. And this is why I have you here because this is so super interesting what you're doing actually. And I think we have to end The, the podcast with the most important question ever. Will you ever start squatting? Yes. <laughs> At some point I will. 
because I want to compete in Europe at some point and I want to put, want to put up a decent total anyway. And in the future, actually, this is like to the point of even more distant goals than dominating in the pull-up and dip. After I dominate, I want to become a more well-rounded athlete as you promote. Yeah. So I want to bring up the weak points after that. So squatting, deadlifts, bench press, and all other basic lifts. So after I reach my goals in pull-ups and dips, I want to like widen my base and like get to no more lifts because like at some point pulling and dipping will just get obsolete for me. Yeah. When I say my last word in these, I will switch to a more like diverse approach. But right now I'm specialized because I need to break the limits. Love to see that. I really love to see that. Really looking forward to this. Maybe a long journey, but we have the time. We have the time. Love that. So, yes, and I still have the time because I'm like I'm only 21. I have the time of my life. Yes. Absolutely. Before me. <laughs> So for all the listeners, if they want to contact you, I think you're also selling some programs. Where can they well, reach out to you? On Instagram. Easily? Just Matthew Slat. Yes. 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 Just my main Instagram profile. That's that's super duper well. All right. Um, would you say there's someone what what kind of people should make your programs? Anyone or maybe some special people? Well, my programs are for people who are into specialized weighted calisthenics, just like me, and they are the representation of my approach to training. Yeah. So if you want to try my approach, if you want to try how I train, then this program is for you. Perfect. Love to hear that. All right. And for you listeners, if you liked having Matthew on the show and you want him back, let us know. Shoot us some messages to the Strength and Skills podcast. Please do us the favor, take this episode, share it on your social media, because this is what, what we need to be a little bit more for the community at that point and pushing, pushing the limits. Um, and yeah, tag, tag the Strength and Skills uh, podcast, tag me, Nick under slash Tibu. And of course, tag the legend himself, Matthew Slat. Matthew. Thank you so much for being here. It was a pleasure and I had so much fun with you. Well, thanks to you. It's been possible. So thanks, Nick. <laughs> I enjoyed that podcast. I loved it. <laughs> so I see you soon. And you guys, make sure to share this one on the social media. And yes, learn, do it. Learn a or lot. You won't, yes, do it or you won't get PRs on your devs. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Yeah, goodbye everyone.